Hi, welcome to the Xbox World Podcast. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about some stuff as usual. Some good stuff, some bad stuff, probably some ugly stuff as well. And uh, Matt's got a special surprise that he picked up at a Red Faction Gorilla press uh, press day the other and week. And of course Red Faction Gorilla is a special surprise in itself. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we'll talk about that a bit more in a bit. Um, and for people who don't know, I'm Tim, the editor. Uh, I'm Matthew, staff writer. And, um, um, I'm, <coughs> excuse me, I'm Mike and I had a mouthful of water. So uh, we might as well start with Red Faction Gorilla, which I think, I don't know whether we'd call it the surprise of the year, but I'd say it's, it's a fairly big surprise in that it's absolutely bloody brilliant. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I saw it, I think it was a year ago, I went to see it, I came back and said, you yeah, know, they've got some good things. And no one I think really was kind expected of anything from Red Faction. You know, nobody expected it to be great. I mean, it's from the guys, Volition, who did Saints Row, which is, we enjoyed Saints Row. Let's face it, it was no technical masterpiece but i think red faction proves why they had every single one of their really really good programmers working on red faction because yeah. it's an incredible technical achievement it's an incredible piece of design mm. uh it's a game which matt brought it back from an event recently in, along with another little treat which we'll be I'm probably vomiting over later um and it's commanded the office yeah it's been played and played and played there's a mode in the game where you can just you're past the pad multiplayer and it's just do as much damage as you can within a small arena within 60 seconds yeah, it's called Wrecking Crew I mean there are different um, different options options you can put on you can have three minute mode but every time you use some ammo that takes some more time off um, so a few different variations um, when uh, when we, we saw it over in London um, Rick White who's the producer he explained that it was kind of their ode to boom blocks um, there's some truth in that. It's, it's certainly not as I don't think it's as clever as Boom Blocks, but the idea is the same. You're in an area and you've just got to destroy as as much as possible. I like the idea that a developer form. like Volition are taking inspiration from Boom Blocks. Um, the um, it's encouraging. I mean, Boom Blocks. So basically, it didn't didn't sell worth a damn at all. But a really, really good game. Well, anyway, I um Tim uh, was sitting there playing it with uh, along with the rest of us. Tim's a very busy man. So it's not often he gets to sit down and enjoy a game. So when he does, you know it's a good one. I took the console home, which I never do. I took it home on one of our debug units. I mean, and we'll, sat and we'll sometimes it. do it for review with finished code. Um, you know, if you need to get something finished off. You overnight. do, yeah. But I I, 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 I rarely I do. do, very very rarely. But especially for preview as well. I mean, let's make no mistake. This game is the preview code that we've got is basically finished. The whole game. Oh, it, there. they could release this code tomorrow. I mean, I have noticed a few bugs. The GPS system goes a bit mental sometimes in a few notable places, like where it tells you to drive up the side of a mountain. Um, God, I noticed one bug last night. I forget what it was, but it was it was something tiny. I mean, they could release this code right now. It's less bugged than Far Cry Two release copy. Let's put it that way. And they compared could to Saints Row 2, I mean, it's perfect next Yeah, to I mean, uh, Saints Row 2 is nothing but bugs. We had a blast with that. It was almost more fun for the bugs. So, um, yeah, so I've been, I think I've played it more than anyone at this point. Matt uh, was the first to play it, but I've been playing it for the last couple of days because I took a day off yesterday and I sat around and played a big old chunk of this game while I was waiting to go and do something else. And, um, God, I think I'm probably about 12 hours in over two days. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's the first game I've had in a long time where I've... Well, on Tuesday night, I was, um, and it's for the record, it's Thursday now. On Tuesday night, I was um, playing it until God knows what time. And I was sitting there, and you know, you get to that point where you've been playing a game for a long time, and your bum's sort of taking root in the seat, and your eyes are kind of dry, and you're, t- you're so tired that your body started to fail. 
you know the the basic functions that your body does like you know not 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 getting not getting greasy and sweaty and nasty like all of those things your body can help can handle by itself gets really really tired and just gives up on so i was in i was in that condition i'm sitting there like just this horrible beast of a man basically reverted to an animal state like slobbering mess just still playing this game and i went to bed and as I was uh, snuggling up in my cosy bed, I was thinking, man, I can't wait to get up tomorrow and play Red Faction Guerrilla. It's rare that a game comes in that commands your attention, you know, before Absolutely. we get a finished copy. Yeah. I think the thing with it is, is that it's, I mean, I haven't played a lot of the, the, the missions and stuff, but I just fiddle, fiddle around in the world a lot. And I think the thing with it is that the, uh, the destruction is so compelling. And it's, um, unlike, say, GTA, where, well, not so much GTA 4, but certainly the previous GTAs, the, the world was kind of what... It's very static. Yeah, but, but the world was what made it compelling, I guess, because it was very, like, like certainly like Vice City is very of its time, and you wanted to explore that kind of... But GTA 4 is not so much. It's more, you know, it's such a realistic city that that joy of kind of exploring the city is perhaps not as... Uh, perhaps not as you know the enjoyment level is not as high as perhaps in its previous yeah. previous games where where they built the city around you finding these nooks and crannies and discovering things to do whereas in Red Faction they haven't necessarily got those although they have got a few of those I mean I went wandering in the Badlands and ran into some really nasty kind of goat people I don't <laughs> yeah. know what that was all about but um, but the yeah, I mean, yeah in fact um, I, I f- after after you uh, after they they killed you we we went back Mike wrecked up you go into the badlands which is like this mad max style wasteland and there are some crazy people there called the marauders they might you know it's questionable if they're even quite people no you 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 find out out later in the game what they are they are but i've got to that point so um and you go there and they've got um they've got some crazy camps set up where they've uh they've made i don't know like metallic effigies of, of yeah, their, yeah. themselves so, which were presumably gods. like religious monuments so I went around smashing those up with a sledgehammer and they never came and attacked you no, they, they didn't attack me they, they, yeah. they, they, Tim just drove onto their land and they marauded <laughs> no, all over totally. to and it marauded on me but, but they were but, scared of my but I went back after and I, I ran them over with a monster truck and then you can steal their giant spear I don't know what the weapon is like a giant halberd mm. and then you go running uh, back to the EDF and start slashing around like you're some medieval knight it's brilliant <laughs> But I mean, what I was going to say was that the the there is like stuff you can do off the beaten track, but but maybe not as much as the old school GTA games. But what makes it so compelling? What makes you want to spend so much time just messing around in the world outside of the um, the realms of the missions? It's just this destruction model, which is just so compelling that you just want to dis- that you can just destroy everything. It's the fourth use of the word compelling today. I know, but it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't. It is. It is so um, unbelievably uh, good. And I mean, so, very much the dictionary definition of compelling is just you know you you you. It's really playing this game has really ruined other open world games for me. Yeah. To me, this is like um, the successor to Mercenaries, the first one, than any other game. It's certainly not like the previous Red Faction games, and it's not like Saints Row or GTA. This is very much like what Mercenaries Two should have been. Even the shape of the world is quite similar to Mercenaries. How you unlock areas as you go, and how each area has its sort of own identity and so on. And it's not as if, for example, GTA is a very dense city. Well, Red Faction, there's lots of open space. Mm. And there's a few little trips up into the mountains you can take, but it's not like that's the bulk of what you're doing wandering around in mountains. To me, the game, having played it as much as I have now, what the game has done is perfected everything. 
which is to say that even now you play GTA 4, for example, and there's still things you're like, well, I'm not sure about this little thing. I'm not sure about this small thing. I'm not sure about quite how the guns work. I'm not quite sure how, about how this works. So I'm not sure quite, the cover system's not quite right. Or you play, you know, Saints Row, and, you know, you've obviously you've got a laundry list there of things the game's not doing quite right. Play Mercenaries 2, and again, there's some things which just don't feel the way they should. You think, well, you know, this, again, lots of bugs, but you think, well, this could be improved on, this could be improved upon. With Red Faction, they've looked at all of these different games, what they do well, what they do badly, and they said, okay, what's not fun in these games? And then they've addressed it. Mm. So, for example, in, uh, in a, any game where you've got yourself a really cool car, you're driving along, you roll it over, you've lost that car. That's not fun. So in this game, just like Halo, you can flip any vehicle. Mm. It doesn't matter if it's a lorry, it doesn't matter if it's a car, you stand next to it, hit Y a few times, and it'll flip back onto its wheels. Um, it's boring when you're on foot. So in this game where you'll get stuck on foot in the Badlands. If you crash your car, your car in the Badlands, you're going to need to run because the Marauders are coming. And I'll get to the sort of numbers they come in, along in, in a minute. But you can run almost as fast as a car because running slowly wouldn't be fun. It's not realistic, but they're not aiming for realistic. This is a game where you can bring in a skyscraper with a sledgehammer. You well, know? It's set on Mars as well. So. It's set on Mars, yeah. Um, there's also constant missions. I mean, outside of the regular beaten, you know, the regular path through the game, there are constant missions. Which isn't just to say there are points you can go to and do a mission. They will, you'll suddenly be driving along and you'll get a message over the radio saying, oh my god, we're being attacked. Can you get here and help us, help us defend? Or there's a convoy going along. Could you steal this vehicle from the convoy? Or stop this convoy? Or chase this courier? Or follow this courier? There's loads of different variants on these missions. And all of these missions come up. And if you, don't, if you choose not to do them, there's no penalty. If you do them, there's a reward. But if you don't do them, there's no penalty. Because a penalty wouldn't be fun. And there's constant... For the GPS system in the game, in the GTA, you're constantly looking at the map or listening for the voice command where to go next. In this game, the, G, the GPS appears right on the road, so you just can just follow the breadcrumbs to your destination if you want. That's another thing, because it isn't fun to be looking at a map. You don't get to enjoy the world when you're constantly looking at a map. In this game, it's there, in the world, your path. There's a great cover system. I mean, it works really, really well. You can take cover against anything, even buildings which are like in, in complete ruins. And it works instantly. You just hit the left bumper, which is otherwise your run button, and you just lock to cover, and it works flawlessly. It works not obviously not as good as, um, as uh, Gears of War, but it works a lot better than GTA's similar system. And there's good AI as well, because the AI can really find its way through the world, even when it's in tatters. They'll take cover too, and they'll take cover against like objects that are... You know, movable objects like cars and so on. They're always, they always seem like they're thinking. I mean, they're not geniuses, but they always seem yeah. like they're thinking. It was that brilliant bit when when you were playing it last week, where you got across a bridge, you knocked out a hole in the entire bridge so that the, none of the convoy could cross the bridge. Yeah. And so what they did instead was just went down under the bridge through like the valley and came up the other side. Yeah, they worked out that the bridge isn't there; it is, is in ruins. I don't want to drive across that. Mm. And then, of course, except one of the drivers did. He yeah. made the mistake. Yeah, he was coming from the opposite side, and he couldn't see there was a hole in it. Yeah, and he went straight down. He went straight through the bridge, <laughs> and the bridge collapsed under the weight of the car. I think the other thing is, is like all good open world games, there's some real hilarity to be had in the game as it's well. I mean, it's incredibly funny. I mean, this is. And what I was saying before about this game's ruined open world games for me is because no other game lets me tackle problems with the level mm. of mirth that this game does. This mm. is why I was saying this is what Mercenaries 2 should have been. I got an order saying, okay, you need to defend, you, know, you need to bring that, you know, stop the Red Faction. Whenever you um, get a mission where you have to attack the Red Faction, uh, sorry, the, um, the, the EDF, because you're the Red Faction, you, know, you have to 
there'll be raids where you have to go in into their bases and take them on. So you'll arrive at the destination, there'll be loads of your guys fighting, and you'll see them defending this building. There's two ways to beat them. You can take out all the guys in the building, or you can just level the building. So I'm not going to piss around taking out the, you know, all these individual guys. So I'm driving towards the destination, and I'm like, well, I'm in a lorry. Just keep going. So you just keep going straight towards the building. You plow through the front door. Guys are bouncing off the bonnet of the thing, getting squished under the wheels. And there's some good screams in this game. Like, <laughs> screams which go on and on and on. There's a guy who goes, ah, 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 ah. I'm very badly hurt. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that thing, yeah. It's like, it's, help it, it, me. It's that, exactly, it's that thing. It's I'm like, bleeding. And it goes on and on and on. It's a guy who's just been rolled over by your wheels. And I'm in, I mean, you're inside the building, you're trying to reverse up, and they, you can't get out. But that's okay, because before I got there, I prepared, I turned the truck into a big car bomb by slinging explosives all over it, jump out of the car, run away, blow it up, it takes out the whole building, it flattens. A few of your guys get killed as well, but you know, they'll, they'll, I was going to say they'll live, but they won't. <laughs> um, and when you have battles in this game, they really are large-scale battles, because the game, the game world, I mean, it's like the most incredible technical achievement, and we, always, we throw that phrase around a lot, we throw mm. it around with Far Cry, Throwing with G, uh, G, um, Gears 2. But in this game, it really is. I mean, when you think these are the guys who did Saints Row, where if you look one way down the street and then look back, all of the cars you were looking at before all of like you know, yeah. vanished. In this world, you'll arrive in an area, and there'll be like 10 of your guys fighting 15 of their guys, and they'll be all shooting at one another. And some of it's illusion, because what will happen is what they'll do is they'll reinforce over and over. So there's not always quite as many people as you think are in play, but it always feels like you're under a constant threat, constant stream of guys. When you go into the Badlands, which is a very empty space anyway, because one of the things you're always doing in this game is looking for salvage. That's the basic currency of the world. And there are lots of ways to get that. You can hit these uh, ore nodes, which are one of the things you'll be searching for throughout the game. And they're often quite tucked away, but never tucked away really hard to find. Normally, you'll see one off the road, and that one will lead to another, which will lead to another, which will lead to another. That's a good way to get it. But also, you can just go to any piece of ruined machinery in the world and batter it with your sledgehammer. And you'll get salvage from that. Or destroy any machine, and you'll get salvage from that. But in the Badlands, there's a lot of nice ruined buildings, which you take a sledgehammer to, a couple of good whacks, and you'll walk away with like a nice lot of salvage. But get the, the trade-off is getting out of your vehicle in the Badlands is really dangerous. Because often the marauders will come, and they will come in dozens rather than one or two at a time. When Tim got attacked by four of them, they, they killed him in... Mm. you know a couple like literally seconds yeah well i've got my armor built up to a re real sturdy point and now they're coming in waves of like you know a, a good 15 of them will come over the hill and at that point you get in your truck and you run because there's no way you can take on that many they like, have very cool vehicles as well it's almost like flintstone type vehicles or star wars vehicles they're bigger uh, big like rings that you see yeah there's some and very the, the marauders are used very mad maxi very um you know, very cobbled together out of whatever they found kind of vehicles it just gives it a real nice edge because otherwise it's just like red faction versus edf both you know use same type of cars yeah. and, and, lorries. Of course, and then you got this the third, marauders will fire faction. spears from their guns their, their cars will fire these big spears which would spear straight through people and drive them backwards into things um there are all of the the human vehicles are very much I'm not, not that the Marauders aren't human. I mean, I, haven't, I, haven't, I don't know exactly what they are, but we certainly know they're, they're not alien or anything. Mm. But the EDF and Red Faction vehicles are very much like big monster trucks. They're like, they handle like the Warthogs in Halo. The gravity on Mars is low. 
um, lower than Earth, and the vehicles are really bouncy, really squishy, and they, you know, they roll over, they tumble, they bounce end over end. You can drive it over a cliff, land on your wheels, bounce back up, and you know, these are really like clunky vehicles. Because again, I think they've just looked at handling in other driving in other open world games, and said, so, well, what's not fun? Not fun is having a realistic vehicle which you jump over a little uh, little bump and it lands and okay that's it. In this, you go over a bump, you'll be flying through the air, tumbling, and of course you do have some control over your orientation in the air. So last night I went over a ramp, found myself going towards a wall. So I turn my wheels towards the wall and for like a half a second I'm driving along the wall, and then I slam back down onto the road. And you're, you're off on your way. I, I will be honest, I've played like, I haven't played Saints Row 2 an awful lot, but I played Saints Row when it came out originally quite a lot. And, uh, and what you're describing is Saints Row. Yeah. You know, it's only that because this happens to be set on Mars, it fits, whereas in Saints Row it didn't really fit. Absolutely. So I don't think it was a deliberate thing that they made it quite floaty and light handling for, for, for Mars. I think it was already that, but because they've set this game on Mars, it just seems to work more naturally I in Saints Row. I think with Saints Row and this, Volition have proved they understand fun. Yeah. Like they understand fun. Well, everything from that Saints Row 2 trailer, which says, you know, GTA does this. In GTA, you can take your friend to a cabaret show. In Saints Row, you can, you know, use electric paddles to electrocute them and then throw them in front of a train. Yeah. And, and from that, I think they realised that, damn, we need to, you know, allow you to jump into a sewage truck and spray people with poo <laughs> to, to have fun, yeah, you know. because that's, that's their thing, though. I think, I think the two things in Red Faction worth pointing out, one is that the, the weapons are... I think they're superb for, for the yeah, world. Yeah, they're really good. You've got, a, you've got a nano rifle, which basically you shoot anybody it or anything. It fires um, nano machines, which disassemble the thing at a molecular and level. It, and it just, it just uh, the, the, the object that you shoot just disintegrates. Think in this firing acid or something. It just dissolves whatever you fire. And it's really easy to take down um, buildings that way. But then even your basic sledgehammer is great for knocking you know, walls out. And you can outrage your sledgehammer later in the game as well. The other thing is probably that missions, are, I, I don't know, I think for the most part the missions are just what you probably would find in any other open world game. There's yeah. lots of chasing convoys and intercepting messages. Again, and all of those are missions people. you don't actually have to do. No, 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 but even like the ones that you do do, that you do have to do to. to yeah, they're usually push the essentially just go into an enemy base and take it out. Exactly, and, and that's no different from any other game, but it's just the way that you can approach those missions. And there are so totally much, there are just so many options, more so than I think any other open world games. I mean, mercenaries, you could like fly over an enemy base, drop a, uh, a gas tank on them from a helicopter. But in Mercs, you were always like shooting down on something, or what I found in Mercs too, if I went in a base, I'd, I'd probably have to backtrack a bit, order a, uh, order a bomb, you know, order a helicopter to come and give me support, yeah. or order a... a you know, a, always a kind of the same thing. I was always yeah. looking at a building, shooting down onto it, shooting into it, telling things to shoot at it, and always having to keep back. In Red Faction 2, you charge in there, full pelt, and you take it apart from the inside, yeah. and you do it however you want. It's what I was saying. It's the, destru- it's the destruction model that, that, that elevates this. But it's also the tools they give I, you. I, I know that a lo- what, what you're saying, Mike, is absolutely spot on. Everything they've done is they've looked at other games and they've just tweaked it so that it's the thermometer yeah. is cranked up. But I, I do think the destruction is... Is just the, the the absolute heart of this game. That if there was no destruction, this model, game would be average. Well, I don't, I don't think average, so. No, I think it's exceptional in almost every way. I think it would be it would be less of a game. It would be less the game it is now if it didn't have that destruction. Like because I that think, destruction is what. See, the thing is with open world games. I mean, we should probably be winding this up now because we've been speaking about Red Faction for about half an hour. But the thing with open world games is that. The open world aspect of it, i.e. the arsing around in it and just, you know, mucking around and stuff, 
a few, not many open world games actually get the, actually really understand the sort of nature of that. And by that, I mean, you know, you go into an open world and you, you, you can literally spend a couple of hours just asking and writing it yeah. doing stuff because there's stuff to do. Well, that you comes know? down to two things. That comes down to the design of the world and the tools they give you to play with it. So, for example, in GTA, it's fun to explore the world because it's a really vibrant, interesting world and they give you really interesting vehicles. Well, not, not necessarily interesting, but fun vehicles to mm. drive around in. Uh, you know, the motor, it's always good to ride a motorbike up a ramp in GTA. It always feels good. Uh, as long as you have the tools to explore the world and, and exploit the world and the really good world to exploit in the first place, then you're going to have a, a fun, open-world game. Mm. And I just think the destruction model elevates this. You know, like... The fact that you can destroy everything and the fact that it looks like it's being destroyed in a recognisable kind of way, yeah. I, think, I think... The destruction I, model isn't as... It's not perfect. It's not, re, it's not realistic, it's, but it's, it's not fun. perfect the, either. The thing is, it, it, rather than realistic, it's fun. They, yeah. Again, they thought about that. I'm sure at some point the destruction model was much more realistic than it is now. Yeah. And they were like, it's just not fun this way. Well, Matt and, Matt and I were talking about it, saying that in the um, Wrecking Crew mode, when you dis dismantle a building, it comes down. And then when it's about... I guess in, in in what would be the equivalent of like a couple of feet from the ground in the game, uh, it just disappears. It flattens out and totally disappears. It just it breaks down into lots of tiny little fragments. Yeah. Is what it does. Um, so it's not perfect, but it is as perfect a destruction model as I've seen in the game. Yeah, and it's this is they are as they were claiming well ahead on that yeah, tech yeah. above anyone else. A couple of final points about the game. It's not all red. No. It's not already. You do come across places later on which have been like fully, well, not fully terraformed, but much more terraformed. So you've got some green fields. It's not a vibrant green. It's like a dirty kind of washed out green, but there are green and blue areas. The environment fatigue doesn't say, and I was absolutely convinced it would, but it's not all deserts. I mean, you start off in a very red area, you move into a sort of brownish one, then into a more orange one. You think, Jesus, this whole game's going to be shades of, you know, poo. But later on, you get to. Sorry, what colour is your poo, Mike? <laughs> Red and He's orange. He's got a lot of blood in his poo. Well, later on, we're going to talk about Mr. Loggerman, I think. Uh, right. I think we should introduce yeah. that. We should introduce our listeners to Mr. Loggerman. But, you know, it's, the whole game's going to be like shades of, multicoloured shades of brown. But no, later, later on, you do come across like these much more bright worlds. And in the richer areas, which have been fully terraformed, it's a very, you know, very different palette the game's using. Um, it's not coming out until June which is, I think, astonishing. The game is ready for release right now, and there's nothing out in May, nothing of interest, really. But look at June. June is moving, I think we should move, can we move on to this as our next yeah. topic. June is the Christmas in summer. This year, June, we've got Prototype. Batman. Batman. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Uh, Fight Night, which is threatened for release in June, Ju well, and the beginning of July over here, end of June in America. Nobody wants to release a game in July. It's worth pointing out, nobody wants to release a game in July, because in America, that's when EA dropped Madden. And Madden's a religion in America. It will absolutely own that month. You know, if anyone buys one game that month, it's Madden. In the same way you don't release the same month game, same, a game in the same month as Halo, you don't release a game in the same month as Madden in America. So nobody wants to release in July. Um, so everything's been squeezed into June. You've got Fight Night, you've got Red Faction, you've got Ghostbusters, you've got, um, God, we've got Batman, as you were saying. Uh, you've even got Battlefield 1943. Uh, I think Fuel will probably slip back to them as well. Yeah, yeah. Velvet Assassin might slip back to Operation June Flashpoint well. 2. All games threatened to be released in June. What's happening? It's crazy, isn't it? 
The, the, the crazy thing about it is, I mean, I'm not saying all these games would have been ready for the beginning of the year, but Jan January, February, March, we had literally nothing to write about. Yeah. No, had... no one spoke about anything. No mm. one announced anything. It was too early to talk about 2009 games. It was too late to talk about 2008 games. It was a vacuum. There was nothing released. We had three games. There was Fear 2, which came out in Feb, which we got in 13th of December to review. Yeah. We had that two months earlier. And then there was Red Faction Street Fighter. No, no Red Faction, sorry, um... Resident Evil and Street Fighter. Yeah. But that was that was it. <coughs> Riddick's, you know, still not out as we record. It'll be out in yeah. a few weeks now. Yeah. But um Yeah, thank God for Capcom and those are those, those couple of Yeah, ones. without Capcom there. It well, was literally three it was Fighter. literally three games. I yeah. mean I can't think of anything And it's very frustrating working on a magazine when you've just got nothing to And, cover and we're not talking about the three sixty being at the beginning of its life cycle either. We're no. talking about four or five what is it, four years being, in? Yeah, we're not at the end of its life cycle either. No, I mean this is, should be when I know that, you know, it's we the could, prime we, of its life. We, we could put stuff down to, you know, people were, are being more cautious this year, obviously, because of the financial situation many companies are finding themselves in. And, you know, we recognise that. You know, people don't... I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot more, I think, this year, much shorter campaigns for, for games. So yeah. the announcement for Call and of Duty, for example, the first trailer was only, what, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. maybe a week ago. And, you know... It's out in November, yeah. So you know, much shorter campaigns because people haven't got as much money this year. But even even despite that, I mean, in terms of actually, you know, games getting out there and getting known, I mean, we 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 phoned around, we phoned every company under the sun trying to get, you know, trying to see what was around, and no one spoke about anything. Where as if they thought forward about it, they could have had. You know, we had covers going, we had space we, going in the There's plenty of mag. stuff we know about, but we can't sit and write about them when the war we're doing is just taking guesses. You know, there's, there's titles we know are coming yeah. out later this year. And of course, the big time for that's going to be E3, which is also in June. Yeah. This is the return for E3. Yeah. I think uh, after a couple of years off, the entire industry has been like, you know, we need an annual showcase. We do need an annual showcase. They didn't realize how much they needed it until it was gone. You, know, you, you literally don't know what you got until it's gone. And um, E3 is... It always got so much attention. I mean, when else does the BBC report on video games? But everyone reported on the E3. It was like, you know, the festival of gaming for everyone. And E3 is going to be in June. And at, you know, at E3, Microsoft, you may have noticed, like, you know, everyone's saying on forums and so on, Xbox has no big games coming out this year. Well, we got all these games coming in June. These were games which were announced, some of them, just in the early months of this year. Batman was announced, God, you know, minutes ago. It was, yeah. it was a very recent announcement. At E3 this year, you're going to get announcements of games which are coming out four or five months after E3. Big games as well. I mean, the games we know about, big games, which aren't coming, which are coming in time for Christmas. I think. I think when people say Xbox hasn't got any big games coming out this year, I mean, the single format. I, I mean, I think what they mean <coughs> by that is there's no Gears of War because the, the ST the, is out this year's Gears of War. Well, you say that. I mean, I don't know. I mean. We haven't had the same level of, of response, I don't think, from people to Halo ODST as we've had to, um, to Gears of War 2, say. However, having said that, I didn't think Halo Wars would do brilliantly and it sold over a million copies, so yeah. what do I know? So you're probably right, it will be big. But even, even, even given that, I mean, it's, you know, we haven't got the level of single format stuff this year, but we've got some quality, quality games coming out. Yeah, and, just, just what we know about, I mean, what's in the public domain already, there's good games coming, we yeah. know that for a fact. But make no mistake, at E3, people are going to be surprised by the things that get announced. In, and in some instances, very, very surprised. And quite grateful as well that things got finally got made. Um, I mean, there's some things you can always speculate on. Of course, Alan Wake, we would expect to see at E3. Yeah, I think Alan Wake I would think be we'd, there, yeah. we'd better see at E3. If we don't, then 
No, I, I think I think we will. I think we'll see it. Because they released that, uh, was it a trailer a few months back? I mean, it shows that they're still alive, still doing it. It'll be at E3. Splinter Cell's another Xbox 360 exclusive, um, which we'll finally see the light of day at E3. Of course, finally. And will we also be seeing a lot of great multi-format games at E3 games? Assassin's 2. Assassin's 2, Grawl 3, I would have thought by now. Yeah. These are games which should be coming out, which should be on the way. And then there's the things we don't know about. I mean, we thought four is a three as well. Sometimes we're only three. And then, of course, there's lots of things guaranteed we don't know about yet. I mean... There's all sorts of stuff like, um, I know it's not necessarily single format stuff, but you know, Bazaar have got their James Bond racing game, I think, yeah. uh, is coming out. Well, I mean, of course, Project Gotham 4 was you know, 2007, so yeah, they should be got, looking at... I think Bazaar are working on two games, aren't they, for Activision? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff. It'll be it'll be a an H-bomb of games. And like I say, don't be surprised if a lot of these games are going to be released... Five months after E3, four yeah. months after E3, because no one's got the money to throw around for lengthy campaigns anymore. No. So what you're looking at now is a lot of people following Nintendo's model. They announce a game six weeks, you know, six weeks, two months, three months later, that game's on shelves for you to buy. And I think that's, um, it's not for us, you know, it makes it hard it's to preview games for us, and so on. But, yeah. but I think for gamers, people, you know, it's it's by far the best way to. You know, There's do nothing some. better than a nice surprise. Like, imagine if you know, you, well, I'll put it this way. Uh, a couple of days ago on Rare's uh, website, there was a picture of uh, someone's gamer tag suggesting that they've been playing Perfect Dark. Yeah, on, on, on Xbox Live Imagine if they, they, again at E3, they, they turn up and just say, you know, Perfect Dark, download it right now. You know, because yeah. they did it a couple of years ago. With, well, they did uh, it with Doom. Doom, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, if they do that again this year with whatever it might be, brilliant. Yeah, and as I say, this is the return for E3. Uh, don't be surprised if Microsoft do what they did a couple of years ago and do the whole, you know, where it's televised and uh, televised in America. I think it, they televised it on G4, I think, mm. uh, or some channel. I, I don't, I'm not really up to speed on American channels, but they, it was televised. It was really a big showcase for, and as a result, they talked mostly about games which are coming that year mm. uh, instead of like talking about stuff that's coming like you know a year, two years hence. Yeah, their one exception was Resident Evil Five, and they sat there and they talked about all the games that are coming this Christmas. I fully expect it to be the same this year. I mean, last year they announced Final Fantasy, uh, God, was it 13? 13. For the 360. Well, I watched the trailer and I just threw up my arms and I just went, big deal, we're not going to see it until 2010. Mm. But this year you'll be seeing games which will be coming out li- literally a couple of months after after their announcement. Yeah, It's going to be a good E3 this year. And of course, in the middle of Christmas and summer, the new, this, year, this year's June. Oh, don't forget on Play.com we saw this morning, big, big game we missed coming out in June. Project Origin. Yeah, well yeah, I think they might. I think they might need to update their <laughs> release lists. Yeah. Um, so, Matt, do you want to crack out while we're, while we're sort of uh, still in the... Okay, uh, when in I went... The, uh, um, uh, we, we've finished talking about Red Faction, but... Uh, when I went to this Red Faction event over in London, because um, we played it and then we brought back code afterwards, uh, I picked up... It's a silver foil pack. It's EDF Field Rations. Uh... Freeze-dried ice cream. That sounds delicious. So it's astronaut. So, it's, what you're saying is astronaut yeah, food. Yeah, astronaut, astronaut food. food yeah. Yeah. Or you know, like soldier food. Astro food. So if you're out in the in the jungle, killing people for Uncle Sam, you feel fancy some ice cream? Oh, hang on. There's another. There's another pack in here. That's Hello. Oh, it actually just then is. So you open up this uh, EDF rations pack, and then. Uh, you do get a, a proper branded astronaut ready-to-eat space food ice cream. Do you need scissors or something to open that? Nah, you can just tear this off. 
Oh, he's going to tear it open with his bare Enjoy hands. Enjoy your ice cream, just as the astronauts do. <coughs> the freeze-dried way. There you go. Um, astronaut ice cream, as well as other freeze-dried food items, have been aboard space missions since the early Mercury missions. Early Mercury missions? That's what it says. Not, not actually going... Not, not going to Mercury. No. That would be a hell of a trip. It would. Very Warm, close very, to the sun. Yeah, very snuggly. Neapolitan like flavoured. Right, Neapolitan ice cream. Matt's smelling it. I'll talk you through the process as Matt does his thing. Oh, it's another package inside. Oh, it looks. If if we, I've got a cup here, you can put me. You can put a little bit into a cup for me. It's all. Um, oh my word! It looks like um, looks like honeycomb. Yeah. Who wants a bit then? Yeah, of course. Guess what I'm saying. Okay, hang on. Here we go. Yeah, so not? I have three kind of cube-shaped, like multicolored lumps. Well. No, I'm not a big on chocolate ice cream. All right. So what we'll do is we'll munch them all at the same time to get that realistic reaction. I'm not anticipating this being awful, you no. know. No. Ready? Oh. Not bad. It's all right. It tastes a bit like mm. polystyrene. It's got that sort of polystyrene yeah. texture. Mm. Yeah, it's got the texture of polystyrene. But not unpleasant. Hey, we're just like the astronauts. Way. See, it's not too bad being an astronaut. You get stuck in your teeth a bit, though. Mm. I'll have some more of that, actually. It's yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, go on then. See, this is a win. This is a hit. This is one of the first hits we've had on yeah, the Yeah, we have. It's better than. What was that? Bean Boozlers. Bean Boozlers. Or sweets that tasted like vomit. Well, while we're munching. Yeah, delicious. While we're munching on these. Tell our readers about Mr. Loggerman. This is a phenomenon which was first, I believe, first noted publicly by um, by Andy Kelly from um, PSM3. I started seeing, about a month ago, I started seeing little messages pop up on Twitter saying, there's something sinister afoot. Yeah. And then Tim began tracking this trend. Well, basically, in our building, we've got, um, we've got it's a five-story building, um, there's north and south wings, and there's a, in between each wing, there's like a, a sort of long, a sort of a short, shortish corridor with a toilet in it, men's toilet in there. Um, and either side are two fire doors. Now this is, um, henceforth been called, I don't know whether we're allowed to say this, the shit locker. Because what happens is, um, Mr. Loggerman, who is the mysterious... Phantom, a bit like phantom the, he's a bit like the Scarlet Pimpernel. <laughs> <laughs> he strikes, but he, he goes into the toilet. He drops the world's biggest turd into the toilet, literally like as big as my daughter's arm, I reckon. <laughs> and um, it sits there in the bowl. He doesn't flush, and it always sticks out of the bowl like a tepid shark's fin. It's like sits, sits it's like, like jaws. You know? He doesn't flush, and I'm presuming probably doesn't wash his hands either. Yeah, it doesn't, certainly doesn't wipe because there's never any paper sitting atop it. And uh, disappears. Strangely, he's never around when Mike's on holiday. (laughs) (laughs) He went there yesterday. You know I don't do shits in work. I never do. And this guy is special because I came in early the other day, which is a rare thing. Normally I come in bang on like 9.30, but I came in at about 9 o'clock, wandered in, went to the bathroom. (laughs) Didn't smell good in here, I thought. I had to get some uh, tissue just to blow my nose because I was like, you know, you need to blow my nose. Walked into the cubicle... And the water was fully browned. And there was a little friggin' bum egg in the bottom. It's disgusting. Like, hang on a second. 
This, but this is, we live in Bath, right? It's not like London where it's an hour's commute to get anywhere in London. We live in Bath. Most people who work at Future live about 15 minutes from the building. Mm, if that. Yeah. So this guy, 15 minutes earlier, was in the comfort of his own home. Could have come in half an hour later. It's perfectly acceptable to come in at 9.30. 9 o'clock or 9.30, everyone's kind of easy. You know, as long as you do your eight hours, no one really bats an eyelid. This guy could have sat at home and went, you know what, I'll, I'll take care of some business. No, he came into work specially to lay a bum egg at the crack of dawn so that he could do it in work. But Mike, I think you're—I think calling it a bum egg underestimates the sheer size of this. When I went into the toilet the other week, and it was—it was—it was so, it was so disgustingly huge that I came back to my desk and said to Hoodie, the my editor, I said, "He's really outdone himself this time." There's three. <laughs> there's three loggers in there, and each one is is easily as big as a print one of those Pringles cartons. <laughs> It was, and Hoodie actually had to go into the toilet because he was so, he, he couldn't, he was like, I've got to see this, this, you know. This achievement. Pr- this achievement, this, this monstrosity. Achievement Okay, unlocked. so instead of the bum egg, then, let's just say he came in early to start building his cabin. Yeah. So he came in early, started, started laying the logs for the cabin, and it should be pointed out that the day before, there was a log of equal size there. So he's, he's banging these out on a daily basis, and I swear to God... I came in, and this is this, and we're going to go back. We're going to touch on this in a minute with the old water to snow story. Like the water to snow story, this is a true story. I came in to the bathroom, have a little wee, stood there, we'll open the cubicle door because I like a bit of privacy. I don't think it's too much to ask to have privacy where you got your wanger out. I've, got, I've looked in the bowl. There was a poo. Again, a, a, a fist-sized poo. It was green. <laughs> Like he'd been eating grass. Or bean boozlers. <laughs> <laughs> well, after eating the bean boozlers, you probably would do a big green poo. But no, it was, as you would expect, it had the shape, size, well, not the size, it was enormous, the shape and consistency of a poo, and the, and the traditional brown colour. But running throughout it were green veins. Maybe it was, maybe it was uh, the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, is that... Uh, uh, we're not going to go for this. Too long. No, we? no. I think we I should guess. move on from this, but I think it's um, it's probably worth. Uh, we just thought we'd let readers. We like readers to get a sense of what it's like working. Well, it's like, at, uh, well, it's like in in the glamorous world of games uh, uh, of games journalism, and uh, that is one of the um, one of the slight downsides. And and what I'll just finish by saying because I started off talking about the shit locker is what happens is that because they're fire doors, literally no air gets out out, <laughs> out of these fire doors. So when you go into the shit locker, it is like. It is like stepping into a whole world of hurt. It fact, is... I think I think we've been there and we've walked through and there's been like five bodies piled up in between the two doors. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah right. you have to step over them. Yeah. It's... So, uh, Mike, your snow thing. Yeah. So last uh, last podcast, I told you guys a story about how there was a newsreader in Central Park when we were in New York. We rolled him to roll in early in the morning at about six a.m. as what people often do when you can drink for twenty four hours a day, and. Rolled into our hotel room, turned on the TV while I was brushing my teeth, ready for my my night my, you know, my good night's sleep you know, on the morning. And this woman was on the uh, TV, the weather girl, with a, 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 a jug or a flask or something, a container, we'll say, full of warm water. She tossed it in the air and it came down as snow. That's how cold it was. It was like minus 12. And you guys doubted that 
that was even possible. Since then, we have found videos on YouTube of just this phenomenon, including people firing water from super soakers, which turns into snow in midair. What, what you're forgetting, Mike, is that you haven't showed us a video of this particular weather well, doing know. it. We see no evidence of it, but I will say this, I Mike. couldn't see find how, a video how, of that exact event, no, but I did find multiple videos of other similar events. How, what was the temperature in New York when this happened? Minus 12. Minus 12. But All with right. the windshield as well. But, but the video you showed us was minus 21. Yeah, but the video of the minus 21 was turning boiling water, actual boiling water fresh from the kettle. This was just warm water. If minus 22 can turn boiling water instantly to snow, I have no doubt that minus 12 can turn warm water instantly to snow. It's dip- what do you think, Matt? It's difficult to believe. I know. It, the it? way you was turning it before, though, is like she was there with a cup of warm water having a sip, stood oh, there talking for a, a few minutes... Look, the water's still warm. No, they produced, it as, they produced this cup as if it were oh, like a grand produced. magic trick. As if, it were, as if it were some grand trick she was about to pull. And we stood, stood there thinking, this woman's a witch. But no, it was science what done it. And science, and science what done but the pair of you. Because you, you guys doubted it. You were your maths. And no, you I, did, were your, I didn't doubt it. It's possible. I just doubted your story. Well, the story... You, to be fair, you did say you were massively drunk We were time, massively drunk, And yeah. you weren't even sure if you dreamt it or not. And, and again, but now I know I didn't dream it, so... A strong story, proven <laughs> correct. So, Pellet, what have you been up to? What have you been playing? I've been playing a lot of Lost Odyssey, actually. Um, which I know it came out quite a long time ago. I know that... Well, Mike, you're not too into your Japanese RPGs. Nah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't roll with that. I used to be, but I've, I've now... Cause since, I, since I played so many of them, I feel like I've played all of them. Um, I love it. I, uh, I'm only like in di- on disc <coughs> two at the moment. There are four discs to it. I'm about 15 hours in. Like there are still bits and pieces I'm finding, finding out about it. Like I'm just getting my head around. Well, I've got my head around the wall system now. I've just found out you can blim in skill link to learn more moves off other characters, which I didn't even know about. Um, anyone who is even remotely interested in JRPGs, I think if you're after a 360 JRPG, Lost Odyssey is, is the one to go for. While I would say that I didn't like, I I, I find nothing to enjoy about the game. Both you and I agreed that had this game been released and named Final Fantasy, it would have been reviewed very differently. Yeah, if this had... Uh, it, it's sad, really. I think if this game had come out... I mean, I think it's sitting on Metacritic 78, something like that. Yeah. If this game came out with Final Fantasy name, it would have got 95s across the board. But all JRPGs are the same in that way, though. It's like, in the West, there are two Japanese RPGs which you can guarantee will get high numbers, Dragon, Dragon Quest, Quest and, and Final, Final Fantasy. Fantasy. And for all of their... You know, minimal differences. The scores, you know, be, between the Final Fantasies and the other Japanese RPGs, the scores don't tell the same story. No. There would be a minimal difference in content and story between your Final Fantasy and your second tier Japanese RPG, but the scores will be a colossal difference. There'll be big ninety fives for yeah. uh, for Final Fantasy and flat sixes for. And the thing is, what we've seen and played of Final Fantasy thirteen so far. Like that game is a good game. I love the uh, the battle system of that game. I think that that game, you know, everything points towards it being another Final Fantasy knockout game that is going to get loads of crazy high scores. But I do think I do feel sorry for you know the Lost Odysseys of this world, which are in their own way I think just as good. Like the in Lost Odyssey, you've got dream sequences. You play a guy called Kaim who's who's a thousand years old, is an immortal, and there are a few other people in the game who are immortals as well. And uh, they've forgotten their past. And as they play through the game, they see a scene that reminds them of, of a tale from, you know, from years gone by. And you've got like these five, ten minute dream segments, which are just 
blocks of text coming on the screen, just little short stories. Yeah, you could have at least had someone read those to you. No, I don't think so. I think the fact that they're not narrated, I think, adds to it. I, for me, I'm very much a purist. As soon as they add voices to JRPGs, I think it kind of ruins the illusion. Again, what, I will we, say, what, we, what you'll probably agree with me on this one, which is to say that when one of the most praised aspects of the game are static text screens <laughs> of stories. No, no, I understand that totally. But I think it just adds like this extra layer of depth and the stories are really good the stories are amazing they are really good and translated so well that's the thing I mean often you find it doesn't matter how good the original Japanese writing on it was often the translation is garbage the uh, translators on this game did an incredible job Mm. and you know went right down to replacing things which we wouldn't necessarily get cultural touchstones we wouldn't understand so they replaced those and made them more familiar and did so respectfully and they've done a really really good job of translation yes i really like that and even in terms of voice acting actually which i know i said i'm not keen on voice acting in jrpgs usually it's best just to stick with the japanese originals because they always get horribly hammy western actors to do it they have got some decent European uh, voices for Lost Odyssey. A guy called Jansen is brilliantly voiced. Well, the um, the problem with uh, doing Japanese... Because you know, when it's in Japanese, you can ignore bad acting because you don't know it's bad acting. Mm. It's just a guy talking in Japanese. But when you have, for example, in um, Blue Dragon, this little weird kind of potato guy bouncing around going for literally five minutes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, yay. Well, you know, thank you for saving us. Yay, yay, yay. Just endlessly. Yeah. When it's incomprehensible Japanese, you can forgive That's it. Fine, when it's uh, a, a Western woman doing a child's voice, it's, you, you can't forgive that. It's not even just JRPGs. I mean, um, Mike, you're obviously one of the biggest fans of Street Fighter 4. Yeah. And all but Kami, I think, you can't stand the, the English oh, voices. Yeah, I, t- I tend to... Well, what I do is these days, anyone who, who would be speaking Japanese, I haven't speaking Japanese, and anyone who wouldn't be speaking Japanese, I, I use the English samples on. Some of them are a bit, are a bit ropey. Um, some of them sound fine. Um, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not militant either way on that one these days. I was at first because we've been playing it in Japanese for so long, so it seemed it was very jarring hearing the English voices. Kami sounds pretty good in the game, but generally speaking, it's. I mean, the voices in the cutscenes are truly astonishing. But the cutscenes themselves are. Oh, they are. Yeah, spect- I mean, yeah. The difference. I would just give me plain text for those cutscenes. I'm quite excited by um, the new King of Fighters, actually, which literally has no plot. The um, the developers were just like, it's a bunch of guys fighting. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. It's like, well, At least so, they're honest about it. So what's it? the story it's... for your game, Mars? Do you see like, a bunch of guys are all having a fight? That sounds brutally compelling. Brutally compelling. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I've been playing Lost Odyssey, Tim. Also been playing, not very much, I must admit, because I can't bring myself to do it. But uh, I was trying to play a little, a little bit of... Uh, Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, before oh, you, before you crack on with that, I was going to say, how, do, cause, how does um, Lost Odyssey compare to the other Japanese RPG you're playing at the moment? Chrono Trigger. Yeah. I'm playing Chrono Trigger on my DS. Um, my Chron- favourite RPG. Chrono Trigger. I must admit, I've just got to the future. I've just done a bit of stuff in the future. It is amazing. First of all, it's nice just to find a JRPG where... You're not in some paradise town that gets attacked by some evil lord within the first five minutes. You are you a young sort of chosen one boy, though. Oh, I know, but it starts off, you just go to like a fair, and then you meet this girl, and then something goes wrong with science a experiment, a science experiment yeah. and then you get sucked into this different world, and then... No, I don't know, it's just, it just feels a like world. a... Vortex. <laughs> the story is... You know, it just feels... <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> the story's different. I like the whole idea of changing timelines. Like, um, I'm a big fan of Shadow of Memories. 
and I never th I, and apart from that game, I've never really found another game that's done you know timelines well, time um, you know time traveling and how it affects the future, and I know I I just love it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think Chrono Trigger is better than Lost Odyssey. In the small yeah. amount of time, I really like the fight place. system as well, which was like quite good for its time because you don't go to a separate screen when you go into a fight; you just reorganise on screen yeah. and you just get straight into it, you know. So yeah, if that's Chrono Trigger is like for me is the Japanese RPG. I mean, I love Final Fantasy VI, which I played as Final Fantasy III back in the day, uh, an American import. And that one and Chrono Trigger, I think they were released almost well within the same eighteen-month window, maybe within the same twelve-month window. Both exceptional games. That was, that was really was square at their peak. So, um, a couple of days ago, Assassin's Creed teaser trailer came out, Matt. Using your mathematical skills, what, can you, uh, what have you been able to pick up from it? I only watched it once. That's the spirit. <laughs> so, let's move on, then. <laughs> well, no, I mean, um, a point worth making is that uh, there's going to be more video. I think by the time this podcast goes up, it should have been out yesterday. So, I'm holding off. Matt until won't blow his own the, trumpet the, on this one, but it is worth pointing out that he was the guy who is, whenever anybody references on the internet, like what the ending of Assassin's Creed was about, they link to the thing Matt wrote about yeah. this. Yeah, Matt is the uh, the world's foremost the authority, world's foremost on, authority on the end of Assassin's yeah. Creed. So I think I think all the um, thoughts about Venice are spot on. Yeah, I think that's it's definitely Italy. It's definitely yeah. Italy. I mean, that's that we've. I think we're, we're certain on that now. So what do well, you I, would, I would presume Venice, Rome, Florence. What I that? thought would be make so make sense would be Vatican City, Venice, Rome, Vatican City. Hmm. Vatican City, no, but that's Vatican in City Rome, is such so. a small part of but Rome. But that's mean it can, it can be a it can be a small part. Of now, the, I, I in the same way in Assassin's Creed, you actually have three towns in one small one. You could have Vatican City as a separate section within. Uh, no, I would almost imagine Vatican City being like the third area of Rome. So you go to Rome and it's yeah. split into the three. Yeah, that makes sense. Three areas and Vatican City would be the final. Of course, one. Vatican City would be essentially a fortress in that game as well. Exactly. So it would not be a nice final kill and venice is great because you've got the arsenal you're not saying the pope's gonna be the final kill you're, you're, gonna, not, you're not gonna you're not upsetting maybe. our listeners by saying the pope's maybe. the final kill but like in venice you've got the arsenal which i think would be perfect for like a third kill you know big fortress like venice shipyard wouldn't be interesting it's a very flat city venice very it is, nice. it is flat but you but if you can swim and stuff it may open and of course up. he can because we can had swim source, you know, there were still lots ago. of churches and stuff that were built at the time i did my research and there were still a lot of churches built so you've got your high reach points, they're all ticked off. You've got St. Mark's Square. Interestingly, at the same sort of time that it's rumoured to be set in, there was a big fire. Um, not like Doge's Palace, somewhere else on St. Mark's Square. Don't forget the plague. And also you're in the middle of the Italian plague. Inquisition at that time. So, um, so yeah, I think... Uh, it's quite, I think an, it quite, quite an interesting, interesting period of history. That yeah. was what sort of settled it for us. When we started digging your own history, and that, that was the time of the Inquisition, which of course ties in perfectly with the, you know, the themes of the first game as well. So, and of course, um, I think visually it's um, so striking as well. Yeah, seeing Venice, because be, yeah. uh, Venice is a beautiful town even now. Well, I hear at certain times of year it does smell. It does smell a bit in the summer. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, mm. and of course, Venice is also where you'll find a guy on a with a little straw hat on a gondola and singing a just singing just one cornetto. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Give it to me. They come armed with cornettos. Yeah, that that'll be the collecting instead of collecting flags in the game. You collect cornettos. Yeah, collect cornettos <laughs> and pizzas. Assassin's Creed Two sponsored by Walls. Yeah. So. Uh, so what else have we been up to then? What we've been playing? What we've been? See, I, I did. I, I, I was uh, quickly saying uh, Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, Leisure Suit Larold. The wishes are going to be reviewed in our next issue. People will be pleased to see it, and in, in not in the, not in issues on shelves now, but in the following issue because they sent us code late. Yeah. They sent us code after it had come out. Yeah, well, not for, even the week for before. a good reason. Because but I mean, if uh, if you want to go to our Twitter account, then uh, you'll be able to see a couple of interesting photos somewhere. I think it's about probably about ten posts down. 
what we'll say is we mark on a scale which uses two digits, and this game only needed one. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, dreadful. Yeah. Absolutely dreadful. I, mean, I, th I, think, I think the killer thing for it was, I mean, <clears throat> it's a very bad game. A very, very, very bad game. But after a certain point, it becomes massively offensive as well. Yeah. Calling um, a, uh, a gay gang named the Ass Bandits... Calling them, I mean, that's one thing. That's kind of like a little tongue-in-cheek gag. Okay, I, we can just shrug that off. But then calling them things like shit breath. Yeah. Like that is some that is some callous shit. And when it's like, you know, whooping and hollering when you shoot them. Yeah. Like, kill the ass bandits. Yeah, ass that's bandits are weak. Yeah. You know what? But I, like I say, no one should take offense from this game. Because, yeah, okay, so it's, it's homophobic. But it thinks it's being funny. So it doesn't think it's being homophobic. It thinks it's, no one was sitting there in the office saying, man, I sure do hate them gays. I'm going to write this. They, no one was thinking that. What they were thinking, they thought they were being funny. And so what the game essentially is, is the equivalent of like, the gaming equivalent of a, a little six-year-old kid shouting bums, bums, willies, bums, bums, farts, poo. And she's shouting all these things that she thinks are really rude. Because to, and, but you know, just like that five-year-old kid, it's not big, it's not clever, and it's not funny. It's not funny. Deserves it just, it just needs to go away and be quiet because it's, it's not contributing anything, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I kicked its face off. Matt is kicking its face off as we speak. Yeah, I don't think I can even bring myself... I mean, put it this way. Last night, I was like, well, I don't really have enough time to get stuck into... The bit that I'm on and Lost Odyssey. Should I stick Leisure Suit Larry on? No, I'll play frigging Battleship imagine if your girlfriend saw you, Imagine if your girlfriend saw you playing that. She would, she would leave you, and, and rightfully so. It, you, that game, and the thing is, she would be like, yeah, yeah, shit breath, yeah, yeah, titty joke, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute, this platforming sequence is unplayable. I'm <laughs> leaving you, Pellet. There was a platforming sequence in that game where you're jumping around such a mess of geometry with no shadows, no shading, no anything to tell you where the, the multi-directional polygons are, are leading you that... It, every single jump you took was a guess. It was, and you, and you it just was like, know next time not to jump It was way. like trying to... Work your way through an Escher painting. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a mess. Come on. No one, like I said last week, last fortnight, no one's listening to this podcast is going to buy it. So we let's, let's, let's just not give it any more attention it deserves. So we're recording this before Easter because next, next week our, um, our recording studio is basically shut down like 28 days later style. Um, Pallet, you said you got a, you're going to have an Easter egg hunt on set. No, I did. I'm not going to do What's it. his hunt he's going to have? I haven't got any Easter eggs. I haven't heard hunts. about this. No, he said he's got a special Easter egg hunt for his fiance on the weekend. I just I, I said to him. Is it going to be like hunt the sausage? <laughs> I said to him. I haven't. I said, All is I it going to include fleshy Easter eggs? All I said was a few years ago, I did an Easter egg hunt just to, you know. And the final egg is in my shorts. <laughs> and there's your Easter bunny. No, um. <laughs> She had a hard day at work. I thought, oh, it'd be nice. Just cheer her up. I'm not... Plus, the, the Easter egg hunt kit was cheap at Tesco, which uh, I think helped. It yeah. was on offer. What'd you get? What'd you get then? I know there were like a bunch of little Easter eggs and some little footprints that you put down for the people to follow to, to the Easter eggs. I thought it was quite sweet. Yeah, well, but I, I, very You know what? Actually. I think that is quite sweet yeah, because my girlfriend was planning on doing the same thing. But since we just got this new place, it's literally a completely empty room. So, oh look, there's the egg so on the floor. Yeah. So, as for hiding things, like where's where it hidden? Oh, it's just there. Oh, where's the other egg? Oh, it's just next to it. <laughs> it's behind it. It's a smaller egg. Yeah. It's yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like one of those Russian dolls. <laughs> oh, there's another egg inside. Oh, another one inside that. 
So yeah, it should be should be good that part. But but Easter four days off, so we'll come we'll come. You know, when this goes up, we will all be rested and refreshed. Right now, we're balls of rage. Yeah, angry balls of rage. But angry balls of rage, you are sitting around playing Batman. Yeah, Arkham Asylum. Well, not at this precise moment, obviously. I mean, it comes in this morning. We're very excited. Well, I, Mike and I, I don't know about you, Matt. Are you excited? Well, I'm about quite Batman? excited. Yeah. I mean, I don't Matt's know doing Batman the dance as we speak. He's got the Prince soundtrack on I'm the go. Ve- I'm very excited. I, we've been um, constructing um, a few things for our uh, for, for our feature on it like, next month. And uh, I must say, well, I've been researching it, and Mike's been helping me out with it because uh, we're both big comic book fans. Uh, it's been it sort of reminded me. How ex- how excited I am about like the the world and you know I know I said to you the other day he's got some r- terrible villains yeah it's, so we are excited but he's got about some the game. brilliant villains what was yeah. that one who who uh, got poison ivy who who broke her out of prison and flew Fle- what was his name Florin Florin Fleur oh god don't even start pl- plant man Florin Flor Florentin man or something <laughs> who was like a human plant again this is like I said this a is, mate of the swamp thing this is the trouble with um. Oh God, Marvel will do it too. I can't really because remember last time I had a big rant against DC Comics saying like, yeah, every time DC Comics do anything, it's never just like Superman, it's Superboy and Superdog and Supergirl and Super Friggin' Rabbit. It's like there's never enough just to stop at one. And we were looking at some of the like the more lamentable Batman stories. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, Batman gets his back broken by Bane. Yeah. Like, who the hell is Bane? Yeah. Like, we know who. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying literally who. I mean, we know who Bane is. But okay, Bane is a guy who grew up in a prison. And he's got he's powered by like a super drug. drug he's yeah. like Captain America gone wrong, essentially. And Hey, don't the, forget he's got to top up his drug every twelve hours. Well, he's broken out of addiction now. Oh, right. But he's just like the most the most generic imaginable villain. He's a guy yeah. in a mask with big muscles. And he breaks Batman's back and then they replace Batman with Azrael. God damn, what a, a lame storyline that was. And um Yeah, you see, then we got the guy in villains like Mr. Like, good villains, but the best Batman villains are the ones which are kind of like sides of Batman. Mm. The Joker is obviously like Batman, yeah. mad, but in the opposite direction. Yeah. Batman is insane, but he's obsessed. Yeah. He's obsessed with justice. He's obsessed with you know, putting the city right. Joker's obsessed as well. He's obsessed with ruining Batman. Mm. And then there's guys like Mr. Zass, who's also obsessed. He's a, he's a serial killer who marks, you know, notches yeah. on his body every time he kills someone. Which is like, you know, a great villain for Batman. Killer Croc? Not so much. Well, what I was what I was sort of saying, and what I was writing this is that the thing with killer, people like Killer Croc is that he's had so many reinventions. Yeah. That that's almost a testament to the fact that no one really knows where he fits in. You know, is he is he actually a crocodile as he is in the game? You know, well, a lizard man, or is he? You know, like I think in one of the recent graphic novels, Joker, I think it was, he was just uh, African American sort of heavy who was working for Joker, yeah. working for the Joker. And in the movie, Mister Z- of uh, Batman Begins, Mister Zars was played by the lead singer of James. James, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's. I think think people like Killer Croc, are, villains like Killer Croc, no one's really sure. He's had so many reinventions because no one really sure. And in really the game, sure he's like a big, in. basically, he's the Incredible Hulk in the game. Yeah, he's a big like lizard man kind of. He's um. Who's the guy in Fantastic Four, Finn <coughs> or whatever? Yeah, he's, thing, he's yeah, a, a big bit like guy. a brick shit. Well, ice. to me, there's always a, there's the, the way you make a good comic book villain is you make them say something about the hero or you make them say something about the time in which they're invented. Like, Doctor Doom says things, and the Joker say things about Mr. Fantastic and, uh, and Batman, you know? They say very much, they say things about those guys. Um, there was a Captain America villain whose name escaped me, but he was like, it was back in the 80s, 
where very much this American dream was being called into question. It was very much that time when it was sort of, you know, drawing towards the end of communism. People were sort of, people were questioning the world more. And the American dream with many media was being represented this kind of in a warped fashion because that was what it was interesting people. Like, you know, the idea of a corrupt government creating these corrupt, monstrous heroes. So it was like this... This is sort of American dream gone wrong, Captain America. This, I forget his name, but he was like a big roided up guy who sort of wore, wore like a tattered American flag. Uh, you know, a big, it's this freakish brute of a man who was essentially a killer who they'd made into this guy. It's very much the era of Robocop, where, I mean, Robocop is essentially a film about the American dream gone wrong. Mm. And Robocop's like, I mean, on its surface, it's a great action movie, but it's also about, you know, how corrupt, uh, a corrupt corporation, you know, ruin a city and so on. It's about lots of things. Yeah. It's very much of that time. And, you know, that, that one character who's, unfortunately, like I say, he says so much about the time that he has no place in the modern comic mm. books. He has no place in the modern world. Uh, I think that's a great way to create a character yeah. as well. With Batman, I think often they've created a character because it would be cool to create a character. There's mm. someone, and then they're in an accident, which turns them insane. Yeah, that's yeah. the basic. That's and the then basic. they that fall the back on that hobby that they have. Harley Quinn is like exactly that. She gets mm. obsessed with the Joker. All right, I'm going to be the Joker's girlfriend now the only thing with harley quinn is at least she, she 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 adds something to the joker in that although he's like exceptionally cruel to her most of the time he's she's really like the only person that he's ever he's a bit fond of her yeah that's shown any sort of emotion for yeah and in that respect she's quite interesting but i agree she is another kind of like her, her origin she makes the joker interesting she's not interesting yeah her origins are another so, yeah, like you say, Matt, something happened, she went insane. Of course, she was created for the animated series yeah. and was so popular that they brought her into the uh, mainstream yeah. continuity. But yeah, there are a lot of, as I was sort of going through it, you know, <coughs> like you mentioned Bane, there's a lot of characters that were created, I can't remember whether Bane was created, but like Alan Grant and John Wagner, you know, who should do Judge Dredd and stuff, who are just these Genero characters, like Amag- Amagadala, or whatever, however you pronounce his name, yeah. who's just the Hulk, basically. You know, uh, it's just a good writing team as well. But yeah. they created like it was almost as if they were just like, let's just keep throwing all these different things at Batman. And I think Bane was one of theirs as well, actually. And some of the best Batman stories have been told by guys like um, Grant Morrison, yeah. who will just go mental with Batman, go completely insane. You know, it starts off like you know, your very first issue of Grant Morrison's run, he looks at all the stuff everyone else has done, says, "Don't fancy that," and just go. And then all of a sudden, there's a league of Batman uniting across the world. All of these guys who are pretending to who are following in the footsteps of Batman in an unofficial capacity, which you've never heard about before, but they've been around for years, because Grant Morrison is, just doesn't care about continuity. Mm. He's happy to do whatever works for his story, and sure enough, by the end of the story, it's one of the best Batman stories ever told. Quite like his, that in The Dark Knight, how you got those Batman at the start, all trying to be Batman. Yeah, his run like, on um, X-Men, with, uh, which he, he ran as new X-Men, was fantastic. And again, with issue, it was his first issue of, the, of the, that X-Men run, he, just, he was just like, okay, right, for now, well, not the very first issue, the first story arc. He was like, okay, right now, Professor X can walk, and I'm doing this, and then uh, and there's this brand new character, and they're turning the mutant thing into a place into a school, like it's actually have proper kids in there now. By the end of like three issues, he's completely changed what it mm. is to be X-Men. By the end of the run, he's decapitated Magneto, and completely changed the entire shape of Marvel, basically completely destroyed New York. So what did they do? Three issues later, Marvel were like, yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah. yeah, we're going to undo all of that. Because he, in his run, did so much damage to the Marvel Universe that they had to just undo it all. But guess what? His run, one of the best X-Men runs in years. I think he's probably given like a Two-Face one of his best uh, best um, reinventions, which was in Arkham Asylum when 
they they'd weeded him off his two face coin onto a four four face dice and then onto a something else. Oh, yeah. it's the cards, oh, yeah, the Chinese cards. Cards. And he was so, he was so messed up by it, he couldn't cards, even go yeah. to the toilet on his own. Yeah, he had to flip tarot cards just to be able to. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. And of course, at the end of that story, that's the one time he he, he makes a decision that's to... contrary to the coin. Yeah, yeah. Which shows that the, yeah, it is working. You know, the therapy is working. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, Batman. When hopefully there when we get back to the office, we're very excited about it, hoping it's going to be as good as we hoped. Hoping it's going to be a good stealth game because I think we said on a couple of um, podcasts before we haven't had many great stealth. I'm like games. I'm Mister when it comes to I'm Mister Stealth. You know, I like creeping in the darkness, just mm. stabbing people, and I like games where you do it as well. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so um, <laughs> you're la- you're laughing more than that joke deserves. No. Uh, I, while you were while you were telling that joke, I was thinking in my head it would be funny if you oh, said I liked it in games as well, and you did. The, the funny, the, the the sad thing is probably that it's a joke we make about five times every day in the yeah. office. Whenever anyone, like in the magazine, every yeah, issue, it's, it's the it's the easiest it joke. It never gets old. Like, oh yeah, I love killing people. Love stabbing, you know, shooting. Love a good bit of stabbing, and in games too. <laughs> so, but, yeah, this game actually looks like you know will be a real good stuff. Yeah. I've seen the way the combat works. To be honest. It doesn't look like the combat's going to be so much fun. You're going to want to get stuck into combat too much. But like, you can hang a guy up by his feet from a gargoyle and then use a batarang to cut that rope so he lands on Falls another on guy. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, that's good for that's a That's going to be fun, yeah. yeah. You know, just playing with those systems. As long as you go back to the Red Faction thing, as long as you put enough systems in the game to play with the world, it's no good having a really, really good world and no way to exploit it. And there's no, it's no good having loads of ways to exploit a world and then a really crap world. Batman Arkham Asylum looks to have the two. So we're we haven't to seen it yet, actually, but another superhero game came in uh, across the office um, yesterday, I think. Wolverine, yeah. um, which we've been hearing good things about. Which should, which by is... rights, be terrible, let's be yeah. honest. It well, I saw awful. an early video of it in action, and I thought it looked absolutely dreadful, but apparently it's all right. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I mean, we, we don't always agree with the guys over the other side of the office. Sometimes we'll give a game a bad score, they'll think differently, yeah. vice versa. You know, we... We don't all write for the same magazine. Well, look at our Halo, how contrary our Halo War score is to everyone else's. And I still think we absolutely got it right on that score. Um, Wolverine the game, well, Wolverine the film, it's a 12, 12A. Wolverine the game, it's an 18. Uh, it's the goriest. It's the goriest. <laughs> it's, it's Ninja Gaiden gore, essentially. Put it this way. Decapitations you, and loads of blood. You look at a helicopter, you l- press a button, you leap towards that helicopter, you, you bash a button to tear into the... Oh, not tear a quick time event. No, no, it's not a quick time event. You just okay. bash the... Yeah, no, no, they've cut down on that, I think. To smash it open, to grab the guy, you, you knife him or, or stab him, whatever, with your claws. Then you lift him up into the helicopter rotor blades and chop his head off. That's prototype level violence. That is. That ne- is. Unnecessarily sadistic, basically. Um, when uh, EGM, the uh, sadly defunct American games magazine EGM, uh, put it on their cover, we sort of, I think we all sort of scoffed. We all laughed. It's like, oh no, what a terrible, stinking what game. What have they done? <laughs> I mean, this was like hot on the heels of them putting Watchmen on the cover. So it was kind of like, oh no, another one which probably isn't going to be very good. And this looks all right. Mm, yeah. It looks pretty good. I mean, we've only seen it on PlayStation yeah. no, 3. We haven't played it yet, so we don't know, but it, it looks okay. It does look okay for sure. Like I say, massively violent. That's always a good thing. And um, the combo system looks fun as well. It looks like the combo system works quite good. I mean, it's not. As sophisticated as something like Bayonetta or Devil May Cry. Even the health system where it's just like like a few other games where you just see it on his body, like yeah. he'll have loads of holes in his back. He actually regenerates in real time. He does like a, essentially a regenerating bar, which is his healing factor. And that you can see that on his body, so it gets stripped down until you can see his organs and the bone. And then as his organs start taking damage, that's what will kill him. Yeah. It's um 
it looks so it looks good, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing. I mean, it's not as sophisticated as like the Japanese equivalents, Ninja Gaiden, and so on. It looks a damn sight better than Afro Samurai, which we had high hopes for and didn't turn out to be nearly as good as it we had hoped. So we'll just uh, pause for a second and just uh, fill people in on what's in the latest issue. Unfortunately, we've got to bring an issue over with us. So we're doing is, this from memory, yeah. Which, uh, we're doing this from memory. Uh, but we've got a big Battlefield Bad Company 2 exclusive. Look for the big, you know, the very bold white cover with the angry man on the cover. Um, we've got um, a bit of Mass Effect 2, a bit of Bioshock 2. Um, is there an interview on Bioshock 2, isn't it? Uh, no, it's uh, all the information about Bioshock 2. We've got an interview with uh, Bioware about Mass Effect. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Um, got the making of Left 4 Dead. Got an got interview couple... with BlackRock about potential Pure 2. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've got... Um, <coughs> what were the features? I can't remember. Um... Uh, the Xbox Oh, yeah, Promise. looking at uh, it's a feature which was uh, quite a long time in the making. We got a lot of cooperation from a number of Xbox launch day developers. We looked at the... Um, by my estimation, we're halfway through the 360's life which I think is about right. If you look at when it was released in late 2005, when we expect to see a re- replacement in late 2012, sort of about halfway through now. It means it's got a good three years left. And I shouldn't be anyone, nobody should be sitting at home going, oh no, only three years left because it's going to be a strong three years. But if you look at like the big key releases we got coming up, that sounds about right. And from what we're hearing from sources who will obviously will remain unnamed, we're hearing that roughly, is roughly about right. With that in mind, we looked back over the 360's life and what is it, how far it's come, what they've achieved so far and what they're going to be looking at achieving in the future. And I sat and I watched you know, a lot of the press conferences and read transcripts of the various uh, speeches Jay Allard gave before the launch of the 360. Because make no mistake, the Xbox didn't die a natural death. That thing was hung. And Microsoft killed that thing. They absolutely killed it. And even though the last Xbox game came out in like 2007, I think, which is a Madden game, Microsoft themselves killed the console long before that. And so we're sort of looking at how they killed the Xbox, but more looking at the promises which were made at E3, the games and the developers which were, being, which were mentioned as being on board at E3, and looking at how far they've come. I mean, they were making some crazy claims at E3 2005 where they were saying... You know, we're going to have these televised tournaments and so on. I mean, not, not televised within games. You'll be able to watch the best players in the world. Million-dollar tournaments and so on in Project Gotham 3. So we got in touch with the guys who worked on Project Gotham 3, and we interviewed them for this feature and saying, what went wrong? Why were there never any of these things? And they talked quite candidly about why these things never happened, about how ultimately people weren't really interested in that kind of thing. People weren't interested in seeing the best players in the world. People want to see their friends. And, of course, that's a lesson they learned with Project Go- with, um, Go- Geometry Wars 2, where your friends are listed there on the menu screen, they have their scores against, compared against yours. We spoke to the developers of the first Ghost Recon about working on the new, uh, you know, working on a brand new console. We spoke to uh, um, Oblivion, the uh, Bethesda. We spoke to those guys about making Oblivion for a brand new console at the time. A few people we could we, we couldn't get because of they're in the middle of really you know, big games, they're, they're unveiling big games and working on big games like. Couldn't get Infinity War because they're working on the new Call of Duty game and so on. But we got most of the key launch day developers to talk very candidly in some cases about where the Xbox has been, where it's going, and what they would like Microsoft to do with their next console. So I think that's a, yeah, that's it's, a, it's definitely feature. a good read. Um, and of course, we've got every X and A game ever as well, which uh, we handed the task across to our our, our regular uh, freelancer Matt Castle over on Endgamer and. Uh, 
we armed him with an Xbox and he downloaded uh, he, every He literally game. did play every single game. At the time, there's been a couple of Yeah, there's been some additions. I think he said yesterday there's been a little 10, maybe 10 to 12 editions. When he uh, played it, it was 198, and it took yeah. him three days to play them. And he really did play them all. Yeah. That's the sick part. It's like, oh, we are, we're actually ahead of the curve on this. I think a lot of magazines are planning on doing XNA features. It's not to suddenly invoke to do XNA features. I know uh, there's uh, certainly one magazine in the building, and we believe one of our competitors is doing a, a feature yeah. on it as well, just through what we've uh, been hearing rumblings on the grapevine. And... Make no mistake, Matt Castle broke his back yeah. to to play and review to do a little a little mini review on every one of these games. And it is make no mistake, because there's so many games, these are mini reviews. But they will give you a little taste of what it's like. And he has picked out the few, and there are only a few worth downloading. And it's a funny feature as well, so it's definitely worth. Uh... Castle came in uh, on the uh, Monday morning because he spent three days. He took a day off on a Friday, and then Saturday, his entire Saturday and Sunday were also taken up. He was planning on doing it all on a Friday. Didn't quite work out that way. He spent the entire weekend doing it too. He came in and I said, "How do you feel?" He was like, "I feel good." I was like, "Why? Well, how could you possibly feel good?" He said, "Because today I have played two hundred more games than I have played on <laughs> on Thursday." Yeah. And he's the the world's leading authority on X and A games, though. Yeah, you want to ask him anything about? Was it Kevin Muanga's? Yeah, he'll be, you'll be like uh, Hexy like, Trench. You'll be like, oh man, this game is really good. Have you seen this feature? Like, you know, it looks just great. And he'll be like, yeah, but of course that was uh, that was already in you know, in uh, Smacks Light. That, that, that was already in Slagball. Yeah. Like, what the hell, Slagball is like? Oh, it's this game where you uh, you knock a human head back and forth. Like, really? Like, yeah, it was on community games. I played it months ago. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's a good issue. Very good issue. It's on sale. Twelfth uh, of. No, sorry, 14th, 14th of April. Which will be a few days back when you're listening. Yeah, uh, and you should definitely go down the shops and buy it and make sure your friends buy it and make sure everyone you know buys it. You should also subscribe to our Twitter feed for the great laughs and you should also check our blog regularly. We've always got stuff popping yeah. up online. And um, send us letters because you get prizes. If letters mean prizes, Not, yeah. We don't send prizes to every letter, but we but do to, to notable ones. We will bounce a response out. Let's have some questions then, Pele. We've only, uh, only got a... Well, we've got three here. Um, first of all, Andy Monaghan wants to know, with Michael Gapper's professed dislike with, for the lead character in Lost and the Damned, what's his opinion on the prototype guy who seems to be the very essence of a dick? Yeah, he is, like we were saying this earlier on, like n- n- perhaps unnecessarily sadistic. Um, yeah. We did, we did I when we saw it, we sat back so and I we can't... asked, why does it have to be that violent? No, because... hang on a second. I asked why it had to be that violent. You guys were like, yeah, I... blood. And I, I was th- like, wait a minute. I think um, I think he's, uh, the, their just, radical's justification for it is that he is, um, he's searching for um, the truth behind who he is. And, um, he doesn't have any morals because he just searching he's, he's, people's stomachs by this looks. Yeah, because his brain's been wiped, so he doesn't know right from wrong. So he yeah. has no moral code. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, the thing is, I'm not sitting here with my, you know, wagging my finger saying it shouldn't be that violent. In fact, I'm gonna enjoy. I, I enjoy yeah. violent games. I'm gonna enjoy it being that violent. But I'm not sure why it has to be. So I, I can't come up with a justification. Like I'm it, it, that is fun is perhaps justification enough. Yeah, but. There is no real moral justification for it. And no. Again, I'm not gonna. I'm not worried about that. I'm just saying. I think the thing is with um, uh, Johnny uh, uh, Clevitz. Is it Clevitz? Yeah, yeah. Clevitz in. Uh, of course, he's in a much more realistic world as well. And also, I think there's a de- yeah, exactly. Realism is the key, I think, because prototype is a, is a ridiculous it is New York, world. But it's a fantasy, yeah, crazy, a re- insane. And the stuff world. he does is like he's flying around like a squirrel. Yeah. You know, jumping off buildings and all that sort of stuff. Flying you know, like a squirrel. 
So, uh, whereas Clevitz is just a member of a biker's gang. And I think it's the same as, you know, some movies. You, you, you watch a movie and you just, you don't feel anything for the, for the lead. I, I think I said to you guys, I saw Jumper on the weekend for the first time. Truly dis- uh, hatable uh, lead character. Yeah, I mean, the char- lead character, you literally don't care about him. He, What's the impression you did when you were sitting on the Sphinx? He just said, yeah, the first line in the film, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember, the first line in the film basically is he's, it opens up, he's sitting on top of Sphinx, he's obviously teleported in, he's sitting there with a deck chair and a drink or whatever, and he's having a great old time. He says, you know, hey, you guys, you're all just messing around, and look, but look at me, I'm, I'm up here on the Sphinx, not like you chumps. And then, you know, and this is a character you're supposed to care about. Yeah, you know, for, for supposed, the next 90 minutes. And you don't, you hate him. Yeah. And, uh, I, and played, I hate the film. I haven't played Prototype yet, so I'm not going to... Yeah, we'll have to see whether you care about him. I think Prototype will have a degree of... Uh, excessiveness that will allow you to kind of warm to this and guy. And it is worth noting that when I play like RPGs where you get a choice, I often play the douchebag. Yeah. Because let's face it, we stick to a moral code in real life. So if you're going to play a game, you may as well completely abandon that moral code. Exactly. I and mean, be that's... the guy who's like, okay, there's, there's like Fable where you've got this bard following you around singing, singing songs to you. I wasn't going to have that. The second he strummed up his guitar, I just blew his head off. <laughs> straight, straight away, I was like, no, I'm not having that. I'm not standing for this. I like that bad guy. I let him follow me all the time. Um, and again, Oblivion with your number one fan who follows you around. That guy got a strong... Oh, that guy, I just left him uh, in one of the areas of the city. I was like, just wait here, mate. I'll be back in a minute. Never went back. <laughs> he's still there now. <laughs> Two years later. He's a sad man. He's sitting there crying, waiting for you to return. He had such a punchable face as well. Anyway, Trooper DX3117 wants to know, would this be in the fifth Is that his name? Trooper DX1 what? 3117. Because there were so many other Trooper DXs registered <laughs> on the forum. Uh, he, he says, uh, would this be in the fifth Call of Duty game on the 360? Uh, not quite. Oh, hang on. I think does he mean yeah, World yeah, at War? yeah yeah two three it's not even a Call of Duty four, game officially though World of War, World yeah. at War and then this yeah. oh, right, yeah. um, without any major change do you think Call of course, Duty sorry to interrupt the new Call of Duty the original Call of Duty is coming to live arcade so it will be yeah sixth uh, do we think Call of Duty is going to become stale and repetitive and ultimately underwhelming I don't think that's probably something you could level at any of Infinity Ward's games. I don't think there's well, any danger with no, that development No, I don't think so either. Team. I mean, if you look how brave Call of Duty 4 was in so many ways in the storytelling, in the events that happen in the game, so even if the actual gameplay were to become stale, which I don't think it does, I don't think it, the combat's so fast that really gets, you never really get a chance to get bored with it. If nothing else, the story and the actual content of the game will be very brave. I, I think, think it is very telling that they have dropped the Call of Duty name. I think they want to go do their own thing and... You know, they've surrendered Call of Duty now, as it were, to, to Treyarch, saying, yeah. well, if you're going to muscle in on that series, you have that series yourself, and we'll just go about putting our quality into the modern combat. I mean, it's, modern warfare it's probably worth pointing out that Treyarch probably probably ha- haven't muscled in on Call of Duty. I mean, Activision wanted a Call of Duty every year, and they probably, and as far as Activision are concerned, at the time, Treyarch were their top internal studio. So it's probably not, it's probably not Treyarch kind of with this devious plan to muscle no, in no, on Call I'm of Duty. But I think it's it, what is obvious is that Infinity Ward have got a bit knocked off about it. And like I think we talked about in the last podcast and probably want a, a piece of the action for I themselves. Think, um, Infinity Ward are the masters of the scripted shooter. I mean, their levels are very, very heavily scripted right into the point of pretty much being a light gun game at certain points where the, uh, the path is so slim, the path you can move along is so slim that you know, you're just taking on guys in the corridor. But 
they are the masters of the scripted shooter. They know how to vary the pace. They know how, what, like you know, how to put good high points and you know quiet moments of calm in there. And they know they they've got it nailed in the same way that Bungie are so good at doing the more open shooters, the more sort of sandboxy kind of things where you can, you know, you have you have a bigger space to explore, lots of uh, lots of room to create your own strategy. I think you're looking at you know two games both on the 360, which are masters of all that they do. Uh, Crisis, of course, you know, Crytek would like to be the masters of that sandboxy thing. And I think Crisis is quite there with it. It's a very, very good game. I think it's, I think it's probably there. probably worth pointing out as well. This is slightly off the uh, off the subject, but um, uh, World at War. I mean, you guys liked it, but didn't like weren't overwhelmed yeah. by it. I mean, a lot of people absolutely loved it. Like Hoodie, for example, our editor absolutely loves World at War. I mean, completed it on. He did it on veteran. Veteran, yeah. and which is um, hard as hell. And game. you know, he, so. It is. It's not. I mean, just because you know, we we perhaps it's not as good as Cold Four. I think that's generally acknowledged. But I mean, I think everyone also was. Well, I was quite surprised at the job Treyarch did on World at War. I know that they nicked a load of Infinity Wars tech, but after Cod Three, the pressure was really on them to yeah. just deliver. And I think they they, did they, they delivered a decent game. Yeah. You know, sort of high eighties. I think we gave it eighty six, eighty five, something like that. So you know, that's a that's a decent decent game. Um, and finally, uh, <clears throat> Gippo Beta, still Gippo Beta, wants to know, with the recent job losses in the industry, how come Microsoft have not closed down Rare yet? The last three games bombed and they all they seem to be working on is uh, are the avatars. <coughs> Surely Microsoft uh, would want to be closing down Rare to, to save money. That's a good question. As that. the magazine uh, broke the golden eye story, um, we we know for a fact that Rare must that must have been a real big loss to Rare. You mm-hmm. know, like they as a game they were working on for a year, and then they lost it. Uh, well, not confirmed. As I touched upon earlier, it looks as though they're doing that treatment with Perfect Dark. And what I would say regarding Goldeneye is the only thing which was holding it before was Activision's trouble with Nintendo. Nintendo couldn't actually block it. They were what they were doing was saying, you know, it's this is. Uh, if you were to release this on 360, we would maybe be less supportive of your games on the Wii. But imagine for a second if Activision were to have sided with the, one of the most powerful companies in games, Blizzard, for example. And would, suddenly would, generated would, a massive be, turnover. Wouldn't they be a lot braver all of a sudden? I would say don't be surprised if we saw Goldeneye at some point. Uh, I would also say don't be surprised if we see lots of their old N64 catalogue. We've seen the Banjo games. Uh, Killer Instinct, I think, is almost 100% guaranteed. I think for a lot of people expect Killer Instinct 3, but it won't be that. It'll no. probably be a remake. Uh, I would kill for Blast Core. I don't think it's very likely. Um, there's a lot rare could turn out, but these are all live arcade things. They need a big game. And as you say, their last three games have bombed. The th- I think the problem with rare, as far as I can see it, to avoid the question temporarily, is that Microsoft bought them to be the house which produces the kids' mm. games. And if you look at the most successful games they produced on the N64 oh. and the Get and, and Goldeneye, were, and they were core them. games. Yeah. They were games for the core audience. And Rare always hit, struck a chord with like you know serious gamers. And Viva Pinata was such a gamer's game that it, 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 the fuzzy visuals didn't appeal to the core, mm. and the complexity of it didn't appeal to kids. It was rare have sort of got lost between what they want to do and what Microsoft wants to do I think Microsoft need to almost give them freedom say okay where we're trying to push you it hasn't paid off you just do what you want because you're obviously a quality outfit make the game you want to make and and then... I have no doubt that that's 
almost certainly what's happened. I think Rare have got one game. I think they would probably have been planning on doing a sequel to Banjo, which I would imagine won't happen now because Banjo just absolutely bombed. And I would imagine they've got one game to prove themselves or it's over. One disc-based game. I'm very surprised Rare at Microsoft haven't shut them down considering they're shutting everyone down and consolidating into one studio. That is Microsoft's new plan, to consolidate everything under one roof. Uh, they closed down Ensemble, but rather than closing down, they essentially swallowed up a lot of their staff and... The other guys from Ensemble went off and did, you know, set up their own companies. A couple of different companies have sprang up from Ensemble. The Bungie, they they let Bungie go, presumably with the contractual stipulation that they had to get one more Halo game out of them. But then they also took, you know, a few key members of the staff to work on their own internal projects. So Microsoft are building a super studio. Make no, no mistake, within their own offices, they are building a super studio. Where Rare fits into that, I don't know. Lionhead are certainly fine. Lionhead are doing, are ticking along just nicely and there's no danger of them closing down because as long as they've got this one good game which is successful and will make money, Fable in their case, they're going to be fine. Rare need that one game. Yeah. They've got one game left in them and make no mistake, the, the hatchet will fall if that game isn't a success. I'm very surprised and I would absolutely be, I would be 100% certain that conversations about Shut and Rare Down have been had at the same time as they were having the ensemble conversations and it would be a massive, a truly colossal loss to the UK mm. games industry if Rare were to shut down. I have no doubt they would reform under a new brand. I mean, look how fast Free Radical got snapped up. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Rare, well, even the, if the talent every, there, Even if everyone from Rare, waste. the Stampers, even if they all got together and just formed a new company, even if they reformed Ultimate, you know, yeah. with the same staff in the same offices, uh, you know, under a new name. They would get even, a deal within seconds. On yeah, someone would, someone would someone. give them a publishing deal straight away. But would they? They've got nothing but a legacy of flops. Literally mm. a 10-year legacy of flops. When was their last successful game? Exactly. N64 days. Uh, but when was their last good game? Just last year. That's the crazy part. They're yeah. making good games. They're just not making successful games. And I think their next game will... Ha- rather than trying to appeal to a market which Microsoft don't have, a market which simply doesn't exist, then they will have to go for that core which they know exists. I think it should probably be... It's probably worth pointing out that Rare probably aren't the ones making the decision about making games for that market that Microsoft want them oh, to. Oh, we're... I, can, I mean, Mi- Microsoft are, uh, have tried to sort of bulldoze their way into the into the, the kids' for, stroke um, a uh, casual yeah. market. And it's just not, uh, as we said countless times, I mean, it's so predictable. Why they even wasted their money on it in the, in the first place, I don't know. <coughs> Well, Microsoft in the casual market is not gonna. It's not gonna fly. Not until the next generation, anyway. Well, very reliable rumor has it, and this has been reported online, um, from when, with various unnamed sources, and of course, you know, we being in the industry, we hear things too. That Microsoft were working on this motion controller, and rumor had it that Rare were working on it too, around the same time they were working on the avatars. Of course, the information about the avatars leaked because Microsoft is one leaky old boat. Yeah. The information about the avatars leaked. Information about the motion controller leaked. It first broke on uh, the MTV Games blog. And the idea was that Rare was working on it. Now, as we are presumably at this point, and well, as soon as we have to read between the lines on this one, the motion controller, we've heard nothing of it. I think perhaps they've put it on hold until the next generation. If, they were, if, Microsoft, if Rare really were working on dozens of projects, or even just a handful of projects for a motion controller which doesn't exist anymore, well, that's along with Goldeneye. That's another year or two's work mm. just straight down the plug hole. These are big losses to a company like the size of Rare. You know, they're they're working on. You can only work on so many projects at one time, and if one of them just instantly has to be canned, 
they they look like a loss making side of the business when yeah. in actual fact they've just been screwed by management. Yeah. If Rare were to eventually go independent, if uh, Microsoft were to shut them down, they, and Rare were to reform under a new name, would that be so bad? Mm. Are Rare able to work on the Wii, on the DS, PSP, PS3, 360, you name it? That's a, a company which has got a lot of promise going for it, you know? Yeah. But, God, I really hope... I mean, we there's a lot of good guys, a lot of really good talent working in Rare, and it's nice of them to have Microsoft money and have Microsoft backing. We wouldn't see a game like Viva Piñata you know, unless they had Microsoft throwing money at them. Mm. So I just hope the next game's a hit. So there we go. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, it's been quite a long one, I think, although I forgot to bring my watch, so I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if you've got um, any, any questions you want to ask us, then get on our uh, website and post on the forum yeah. or email us at xbw at futurenet.co.uk or get on our Twitter. Subscribe to our Twitter feed because it's a real fun place Twitter. to be. Twitter.com slash Xbox World 360. We'll speak to you soon. See you. Bye-bye.